Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loved us and raise people up in his love. We are grateful to have you listening. Regardless of who you are, you are welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. morning everyone oh come on I know it's Columbus Day and I know y'all are resting but good morning everyone good morning it's great to see everybody here this morning happy Columbus Day weekend please tell me you are resting tomorrow rest is important please rest Um, (laughs) we're going to turn to the person on our left and right and say Good morning, happy Columbus Day. Turn to the person on your left and on your right, behind you and in front of you, say, happy Columbus Day, it's good to see you. Say, it's good to see you to one another. Give each other a hug if you're comfortable. It's good to see you. It's good to see you. Welcome to church. (laughs) Welcome to church. Um, My name is Pastor Jane. Thank you for coming here and, and My name is not Pastor Jane, my name is Jane. Thank you for coming here and uh, worshiping with us. We do not take any of your presences for granted. We're very grateful to have you guys here. Um, I'm going to just give us a bit of a disclaimer. Um, Again, this is not, we have been going through a sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount. These are Jesus's words, not mine and Um, I wrestle with them too, so let's wrestle together. There's no trigger warning this week, but it will be hard to hear. Um, Could we open up our Bibles to Matthew? Matthew chapter 5, we are reading through, we have gone through the entire book of Matthew, the entire chapter of Matthew 5, we're at the end. So we will be, Matthew chapter 5, verses 38 to the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 5, first book in the New Testament. If you do not have a Bible, let Jane Doe know. Jane Doe will get you a Bible. Matthew chapter 5, 38 to the end of the chapter. Could we all rise for the reading of God's holy and perfect word? This is the word of the Lord. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone would slap you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. And do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same. And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same. You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please remain standing as we pray. Abba, we come before you. Human, distracted. We come before you hurting. We come before you angry. We come before you with whatever burdens we have brought this week. Abba, would you be with us? Abba, would you guide your people to a place of rest? Would you guide your people by still waters, by streams of living water, that they may drink and eat of your living and active word of relationship with you today. Abba, I am not perfect. 
and in no way am I qualified to preach this sermon. So God, hide me behind your cross, that only you are magnified and glorified, that we would all partake in your word together. Abba, would you anoint my lips with your oil, that the words that come out of my mouth is yours and yours alone, not my wisdom, but yours, God, yours and yours alone. Abba, I pray, you know, Abba, you know, who in this room needs what? I pray that this would be a moment where you would provide for our hearts, that you would give to all of us as we need, be that comfort or conviction. We thank you, Lord. If there's any person here right now who is distracted, I pray, God, that that distraction will be cast out of their head in Jesus' name. God, that you would bring clarity of thought right now in the name of Jesus. That eyes and ears and minds and hearts would be attentive to what you have to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Be seated, church. Okay, so today's sermon is on the last portion of Matthew 5. And the title is Retaliation, Guardedness, and Vulnerability. Retaliation, Guardedness, and Vulnerability. And my word to you in advance is sorry. Um, how are, on a scale of, actually, let me think about this. On a scale of one to 10, how vulnerable are you? Can you just talk to your neighbor and tell them, the person to your right, your left, not to like a whole, like a whole crowd if you don't feel comfortable, but how, like on a scale of one to 10, how vulnerable or how guarded would you say you are? Think about it for a second and then turn to your neighbor, talk to them. How vulnerable? The number, you don't have to explain much, but just the number and like maybe a little bit of context. How vulnerable are you? How vulnerable are you? <laughs> how guarded are you? A scale of one to 10. Christian, I'm just kidding, 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 imagine, you want, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just, I'm really just joking, this is all games, it's all games, see, that's how guarded or vulnerable I am, you know, when we come, when it comes to this conversation, it's all, it's all smoke and mirrors, you know, all I do is crack jokes because life's a joke, um, and so, <laughs> I, uh, you know, if you're in this room and you're like, I don't know how to talk about this to the person next to you because I barely know you, I'm like, you know what, I feel that, I do, I feel that, I feel that, like right here, maybe even like in my bones, you know, um, so yeah, I mean, how vulnerable and how guarded are you? Do you know how vulnerable or guarded you are? Do you have anything to be vulnerable or guarded about? You know, what is your view of people? What is your view of people? Do you see people as opportunities for relationship or threats to your protection and your well-being? Um, these are very important questions for this sermon. Because this sermon is not, this sermon is a sermon not just about self-defense and personal vengeance, but it's a sermon about protection. It's a sermon about safety. It's a sermon about where you put your trust in, your walls or your God. So this sermon and this, this passage starts with, you have heard that it was said, verse 38, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Have you heard of this before? Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Have you heard of this before? Where have you heard it? Come on, what is it? Hammurabi's Code. Is that world history? That's world history, right? Some of you guys might not be in high school yet. You might not have learned about it. It's okay. You'll learn about it very soon. There's something called a Fertile Crescent. Um, way, way, way in the ancient days. And Hammurabi's Code is a part of... Anyway, I'm not here to give you a history lesson. But yes, Hammurabi's Code is very, very well known. It's one of the things that I've carried through into today. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Even if you haven't heard of Hammurabi's Code before, I'm sure in some TikTok, in some movie, in some 
video, somewhere, documentary, anything you've watched, I'm sure you've heard somebody say it, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. A lot of the times we hear, love your enemies and turn the other cheek, just as much, I was talking about this yesterday at SNG, the, the terminology of love your enemies and the phrase turn the other cheek, these are phrases that have become popularized in our society today as well, just as much as an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And so a lot of the times we associate that with conventional Christianity, but actually in the Old Testament, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth was actually more relevant. Um, not in the sense of retaliation or in retribution, that word means to pay back what somebody has done you wrong with, but it, 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 it wasn't just about payback, but it was more about, um, Le legal punishment. So I don't want to give you guys another law lesson. So I'm not here to give you guys a law lesson, but even in our country today, there is a concept called cruel and unusual punishment. What that means is when the punishment that you get for your crime that you commit in and you are sentenced for in court goes beyond the scope or the extent of your crime. It's considered cruel and unusual punishment. So torture is illegal because of cruel and unusual punishment. Um, psychological, physical, mental, emotional torture is considered illegal because of cruel and unusual punishment. Doesn't mean that you know, modern day governments don't engage in these things, but there is a concept even in our government today and a basic understanding that your punishment for a crime or breaking the law should not be disproportionate or way greater than what you have done wrong. And even in the Old Testament, eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth existed because you were not allowed or the government or Mosaic law, right, Deuteronomy and Leviticus, it's written in there clearly that your punishment must be proportionate to and appropriate to the crime that you have committed. Are y'all tracking with me? Y'all understand what I'm saying, right? So that is the concept, just as much as it's eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, the concept in a legal sense is to make proportionate someone's punishment to their sentencing. And through this kind of concept, the purpose of it in the Old Testament was to convince the person to take whoever has wronged them to court rather than take revenge themselves. So this was a legal concept, an ethical concept. Ethics is, ethics and morals are very com like similar, not, they're not completely similar, but it's, ethics is about you know, what is appropriate, what is morally acceptable, right? Um, sometimes when we, are messed up to a, when we are messed up to an animal, that might not be ethical, for example, right? So this is a matter of ethics. It's a matter of whether or not this is morally permissible for you to go and stab somebody for stealing your bag rather than pressing charges against them. And so that's the reason for the concept in the Old Testament, okay? So Jesus is not like just referring to random Hammurabi Coven society, he's referring to a legal concept that just says people ought to be punished according to what they have done wrong. A very fair and ethical concept that exists specifically in a criminal justice system. That is the concept that Jesus quotes. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. If you notice, uh, you probably didn't notice, but this quote is actually quoting Exodus 21-24, Leviticus 24-20, and Deuteronomy 19-21 because those are where the laws exist. He is literally quoting. It's as though he's quoting the Constitution. He's literally quoting the law, okay? And then he says, but I am telling you not to resist an evil person at all. So to get this straight one more time, Jesus is quoting 
legality here to say, do not resist an evil person lawfully. How are you feeling when you hear that? I, before I was going to be a pastor, I was going to be a lawyer. Law is built into the way that I think. I think on codes of rationale and methods of reasoning and, and have like absorbed so many Supreme Court precedents that when I read this, it seems counterintuitive to law and it just, no, not even, it, it's, it seems counterintuitive to order. It, sound, it seems counterintuitive to justice and fairness. So at first, when you hear it, it seems you might feel like it rejects what is just. And there are problems with that. When you, so when Jesus said this, that was the feeling that people got. Like, what the heck is this guy saying? Right? Just like when Jesus said, don't do an oath, an oath was a lawful, like, do you not take an oath when the president goes into office? But Jesus was saying, don't take an oath. Let your yeses be yeses and let your noes be noes. So at first, it seems like he's rejecting legal systems. It seems like he's rejecting order and fairness and justice. And it seems like he's re rejecting these systems that are set in place to protect people. Legal systems are set in place to protect your life, your liberty, and your property. Your natural rights. It's a very Lockean concept, right? Pre-constitution, just straight up enlightenment, right? And so it seems weird that Jesus would reject something like that out front. But then he takes it a step further and he delves a little deeper. Because here's the thing. Jesus is not saying that you, you should not have legal rights. Jesus is not rejecting, would you say that Jesus is anarchist or communist? No. The answer is a resounding no. Okay? No. The Judea, it's a, it's a, Judaism in and of itself was a theocracy and Jesus was not rejecting the government. But this wasn't about legal rights. It's about personal vengeance. personal vengeance. This wasn't about legal rights, it's about taking matters into your own hands. He goes further. When someone takes your things, when someone sues you and takes your things, give them more. When someone sues you, what you gonna be like? What are you gonna be like? Tim, if someone sues you, how would you feel? <laughs> Okay, for people who are watching via YouTube, he said, dang. That's not a feeling, but I, I, I'll take it. Um, yeah, it's like kind of like, I mean, for me, I think I feel like, what the heck? <laughs> Why? <laughs> okay, then, you know what I mean? Let's go, you know? Like, just kidding. I'm, I'm just kidding. That's counterintuitive to the sermon. Uh, but, like, your first reaction when someone sues you is, like, why would you do that? Right? And then when someone takes the clothes off your back, you're like, excuse you? Like, excuse you, right? Don't touch me, you know, <laughs> right? But Jesus says, give them more. Strange man. He says that in a very, very legal way. He says, if someone forces you to carry something one mile, this is referring to Roman soldiers were legally allowed, Roman soldiers were legally allowed to force people to carry their burden. And a mile is considered a thousand steps. So Jesus is saying, if someone forces you to carry their things for one mile, legally, carry it a thousand more steps. Add the thousand to the thousand. At this point, if I was in the group of people that was listening to this, I would be like, yo, you're tripping. You're absolutely tripping. What are you saying? Like literally what are you saying, right? 
It's, it sounds very counterintuitive. And then he says, give to the one who asks something from you. And don't reject anyone who wants to borrow something from you. And it ends this absolute, excuse me, but this absolute baloney ends <laughs> with give to someone who asks something of you. And don't reject anyone who wants to borrow something from you. Here we see the point. See, Jesus was not talking about legality. Is Jesus saying, you might be wondering, is Jesus saying, abandon your rights? No. If there is somebody that is threatening your family, is Jesus saying, do not restrain them? Do not protect yourself with the law. Jesus is not referring to that. Jesus is saying, no, it's not about your legal rights. Jesus is not telling you to strip yourself of the protection that you are given as a member of the society. Jesus is saying to give in response to evil. And he is referring to a specific attitude that we have towards evil. A specific attitude that we have towards people we don't like or specifically people that have done us wrong. He says, give without looking for a return relationally. And he talks about repaying evil. In that last bit, we really see a little bit. He talks about repaying evil with generosity. The first counter you might be, the first thing you might be wondering is, Jane, is Jesus saying that oppression is okay and that the oppressed should give in return. No. Another resounding no. Jesus is on the side of the oppressed. God is always on the side of the oppressed. This is not about systemic oppression or injustice. Oppression is bad. And as God's people, we must learn to confront and act upon systemic and individual oppressions and injustices that occur. But this is not about unopposing evil. This is about answering evil with good. I'm going to say that one more time. Jesus is not telling you to accept evil as they come. Jesus is not telling you to be unopposing to evil and let it go and let it slide. Jesus is saying to respond to evil with good. Jesus is not saying don't protect yourself with the law. Jesus is questioning the way you have been taught to think about how you react and you respond to evil. This is really important. We have been taught growing up to reject evil, which is true. But Jesus is saying, I am not about personal vengeance and retribution. When somebody hits you, your initial, re like I am very reactionary. And so if somebody punches me, I will see red, okay? Dress like this and look all prim and proper, but you know where I come from, like. If you throwing hands, if you're throwing hands, you better be ready to see some hands back. You know what I'm saying? Okay? But Jesus is saying, don't react, but respond. Don't react, but respond. He goes a step further. He says, you have heard that it was said. I hate it when Jesus says this because he's about to turn something upside down and I'm not ready to hear it. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I am telling you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you might be children of the heavenly father. Hmm. That's my honest reaction. Hmm. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you will be children. I was like, God, I thought I was already your child, you know? 
But Jesus is not saying that your salvation is contingent or it hangs on this. He's saying, for, for example, I am my mama's daughter. I use my parents every week as an example, but everybody got parents, so y'all can all relate, you know what I'm saying? Um, I am my mama's daughter. And the way I was raised in the Korean community back at home was if I did something dumb, if I talked back to an adult, or if I was being disrespectful, that reflected on my family. And this is not just a Korean thing. I'm, I believe this is like a general thing. Um, when we are out of line, it reflects on our family, not because, oh, like, the system is messed up and like whatever. It's just like naturally, we are a product of our family, right? And if, back in the day, if, I mean, being my mama's daughter is one thing, but being my grandma's granddaughter, mm-mm, nah, -uh, nah. I'll talk back to my, to my mom. I will not talk back to my grandma. I will not talk back to my grandma. I don't know about y'all. Y'all probably was raised like very, very well and very precious like, but I was whooped. And so, you know, I did not, I did not mess. I did not mess with my grandmama. Um, and the earliest thing that I ever heard from her that has like literally like changed the course of my life, I came home from preschool one day uh, we, I learned Korean first, and I started to speak, you know how, you know how it is, you start going to school, and you lo lose all the Korean y'all learned, you know, I'm sure all of us was fluent in Korean at some point, but then once you start going to school, you bring that English home, and then you forget everything, right, um, and so I started doing that, I started coming back from preschool, and I started speaking English, and my grandma was looking at me like this, and she was like, oh, Jane, like, and I was like, grandma, I want to eat this, and she looked at me, and she took my bowl, she looked at me like this, like the, I'll never forget. She looked at me like this. I quote her. When people ask me, why do you speak Korean so well, I quote her. She looks at me like this for a minute. She takes my plate from me. I'm hungry, because it's after school. I'm like, Grandma, why are you taking my plate? And she goes, <laughs> For those of y'all in the room that are not Korean, what that means is if you speak Korean, if you don't speak Korean, I ain't giving you no food. She ain't, she ain't need to tell me twice. She ain't need to tell me twice. I don't believe I spoke a lick of English to her again. And so even to this day, when people walk through North Boston and when people walk through Gordon Conwell or whatever the heck, this, that, and the third, and they're asking me, like, can you translate? Like, oh my God, you haven't been to Korea. How are you fluent in Korean? I say, my grandma told me when I was four. Straight up. Straight up, true story. I tell, I literally say this to everybody. Now, my grandma told me when I was four, if I don't speak Korean, if I stop speaking Korean at the dinner table, I would not eat. And so I spoke Korean to eat. And that is why I'm here today, right? And that is like a very true reflection of the way that I am my grandmama's daughter, right? I am this way, and I speak Korean fluently because that is how my grandmama raised me. And if I do something dumb, it reflects on my grandmama, right? When we are God's children, we rep our Heavenly Father. People, the, the you that people come across is a product of your lived experience, a product of your loved ones, the people that cared for you and raised you, and what you live by. And God is saying, you are my children. You are my children. You have received. Oh, man. You have received. Good God. I don't want to. You have received the grace of God. Where is your grace? Where is your grace? 
You are not, you're not their kid. You're not their kid. You're my kid. You're my child. And I have saved you. So where are you at? Where are you at? He says, don't even the pagans do this. What does it mean for you when you are nice to somebody? It is easy to be kind to somebody that is kind to you. But are you nice? If you think you're a nice person, would you say you are nice to everybody? Would you say you are nice to the people who are rude and disrespectful to you? Jesus says it is easy to be nice to somebody who is nice to you. It is easy to love somebody who loves you. I am not always nice to people who are not nice to me. That's why I say I am not a nice person. But some of us in this room might think we're nice. But we're not nice to people who are not nice to us. It's easy to be nice to people who are nice to you. So what... That's not being nice, that's just being a mirror. What does it mean for you to show love? It's easy to show love to people who show love to you. But do you show love to people who don't? Do you rep God or are you a mirror of what you receive? And that's the concept that Jesus is talking about here. So he digs a little deeper from giving without looking for a return relationally to that. And he says, this passage ends with be perfect. And I need to clarify, to be perfect, Jesus is not talking about, he's not talking about being like without blemish in that sense. He's saying, are you wholehearted in the way that you submit to me about this? See, here's the thing. When it comes to loving your enemies, when it comes to like, oh, love your enemies, we've heard that over and over again. But in your actual life, when it comes to loving people who have not done you good, we often withhold this from God. Who actually has prayed about that before? When someone disrespects you, have you prayed about it? I have not. I have not prayed about it much, okay? I'm standing up here. Don't, don't think about it like I'm telling you that I am better than you because I am just, I am right there. I'm very, like I said, y'all know where I grew up. Like, I am probably the least qualified person in this room because I've probably gotten into the most fights out of everybody in this room. And so, like, I am not saying this from a place of, a, like, superiority. But I'm just saying this because it's the next passage. And I got to be faithful. Because you know what? God is not saying be perfect. You need to be without blemish. You need to do every stinking thing right. Jesus is saying, are you wholehearted in the way that you submit to me? Do you just submit to me your Sundays? Do you just submit to me your offering? Do you just submit to me reading the Bible 10 minutes? The occasional one-on-one -on -one with Pastor Jane, your Arise retreats, some service and leadership, and then withhold this from me. The way you react to when people are evil to you. How many of us have actually, actually wrestled with this spiritually? To be real, real, like, to be real, real, you know? Have you wrestled with it? My confession is that I did not until I was preparing for this sermon. And I had to repent a lot. And I, I don't know if you can tell, I am, and I said this a little bit in SNG, like I really, I really did not want to preach this sermon because this sermon feels very counterintuitive to who I am. And I have, I get a little, for me, I think, I don't know about y'all, but when you hear this, I don't know if you guys are thinking like, oh, maybe I could be better, maybe I could be, but a, for me, I, I get a little bit upset. Because for me, this feels like God is saying, 
When other people hurt you, when they pierce you, take it. It feels unloving for me personally. As somebody who grew up in, a, in an environment where I had to be somebody, I had to be somebody that people would not easily throw hands at in order, to be protect, in order for my person to be protected. I had to prove my, prove my strength. That's why I look thin, but I can still put up a fight because I was, I was trained, I was raised. Even before I did a single sport, I did kickboxing because I was raised. I was raised to protect myself. That is the way I was raised. And so when I hear this, I get a little upset. Because it doesn't feel like God is loving in this moment. And I don't know if you guys relate to me. And so I'm not saying this from a place of authority and superiority, but I'm saying this because I have to. <laughs> because this is what God says, and it's important for us to wrestle with it. Have you wrestled with the way that you react to this with your Lord? How do you react to when people hurt you? How do you react to when people do something wrong to you? Do you think you're a nice person just because you're nice to people who are nice to you? Like I said, that's just being a mirror. There's a mirror in the back. There's a mirror in the bathroom. We are mirrors when we are nice to people who are nice to us. That does not make you kind. And so Jesus addresses this. Not for the sake of like taking away your personal rights, but to challenge the way that you have been raised to think. And the first thing that you might feel when you hear a passage like this is vulnerable. Because for a lot of us, the way we react to evil, we don't, a lot of the times when we react to evil, we're not repaying evil with evil for the sake of being evil, we're often protecting ourselves. And here's where guardedness comes into play. Because, and here's, this is what I was talking about a little bit at SNG, because um, we were like set, set up in groups and we were just talking and wrestling through, and, and I was saying like, this is where I have a hard time, right? And that's why this is not just about personal, this is not just about personal vengeance. It's not about legal rights, but it's not just about personal vengeance. And it's not just about whether or not you're nice or not nice. What this is about is how you protect yourself. At least that's how I take it. Eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. If you punch me, I punch you back. If you scratch me, I scratch you back. Don't be messing with me because I, it will go right back to you. And that was not my way of being angry, and that was not my way of being evil or like anything like that. That is simply a matter of self-defense. So when Jesus tells us, hey, repay evil with generosity, what it might feel like in that moment is emotionally being vulnerable, physically being vulnerable, right? And you might be wondering, why do I have to do that? That initial reaction of you know, pushing back against God's word, that's protecting yourself. What you're doing there, it's not about you being sinful or evil. I really truly believe that it's about protection. And you might feel like Jesus is blind to that, that Jesus is being insensitive to the fact that eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth is a matter of protection. But here we see glimpses of how Jesus is actually aware. Because he says, when somebody slaps you across the face, Turn the other cheek. For some of y'all, that's a metaphor. For me, that's very real. The last time somebody slapped me across the face, I got this blue tooth, and their tooth got knocked out. That's, I don't, cha I don't change this because I have like, I won't get into it. I don't change this because th those are my battle scars. The last time someone slapped me across the face, I have not gotten slapped across the face since. Not because of that, but I just have not been, right? And so for me, when I hear, when someone slaps you across the face, turn the other cheek, I take that personally. I take that against God personally. I take that to God personally. I'm like, God, what, I'm supposed to just take it? And you know what? When you've actually gotten into fights, you realize, not that, some of, all, some of us have, but I, I, I normally don't have to give this extra illustration, but I will. When you, when you're, to allow your somebody to, tur to turn the other cheek, you have to not only 
not re like refrain from hitting back, but you also have to keep your other cheek vulnerable. I was explaining this yesterday. When you box, right, when, when, when there are different like positions and you like get into, get into fights, right, when you're punching, the other, this is like terrible form, I'm holding a mic, but the other, the other hand is protecting yourself. Even if you're not, like, when you punch, with the other hand, you protect yourself. If you're, if you're punching, right? If you're punching and you fall back, what's the, what's the position? You protect yourself. In order to turn the other cheek, you not only have to refrain from hitting back, but you have to be vulnerable to another attack. And that's why that discomfort you guys are feeling right now about this sermon, that vulnerability is why. Loving your enemies are the same. To love somebody, you have to not only not hate them back, but you have to extend yourself in vulnerability. It's more painful when the people you love hurt you. I have a hard time with ministry precisely because of this. Because when somebody hurts me, as a pastor, it's not, it's not only just that I have to refrain from not, not doing anything back, but then I have to continue to extend myself. That is literally the hardest thing about being a pastor. Is that whether or not you guys are nice to me, I gotta, be, I gotta love you guys. And that's hard. That's hard. That's hard. Because I am a pastor, but I'm also a person. And I wasn't built to do that. I wasn't taught to, I wasn't raised to be like that. I was raised, if you don't want to talk about, like, right? If you don't want to be around me, I won't be around you, right? That's how I was raised. There's something about loving the other person past hurt that is really difficult, and that's because you have to extend past. And for some of you guys, it might not be fathomable. For me, it's not so, I'm still working on it. It's hard. This is hard. Taking off your coat, when somebody sues you and takes your stuff, but then you take off your coat, that makes you naked before the court. Not only are you not retaliating and getting your stuff back, but you're giving more. It makes you vulnerable. But here's the thing. Do y'all know the story when Abraham and Isaac, when Abraham sacrificed Isaac on the altar? Do you guys know this story? In Genesis, God promised Abraham that the nations will be blessed through his one son. Abraham, in the words of Paul, was as good as dead. He was old, and Sarah was old. And if you know anything about Hymenes and Harabajis, they don't give birth, okay? But when they was old, they gave birth, okay? And they had this young strapping boy. And God one day says, go sacrifice your son. And Jesus was asking for blood. There's no, there's no mention in scripture about how Abraham actually responds and what he was feeling. But the next day, he takes Isaac and he goes into the mountain. He goes up into the mountains. Isaac's like, where are we going, dad? No response. When they get to the appropriate place, Oh, I'm sure Isaac asked, like, where's the sacrifice? No reaction. When they get to the place, he puts Isaac on the altar, slowly begins, wrapped for sacrifice. And then God goes, Abraham, stop. I have seen that you will obey me. And then he gives him a ram. It's a very interesting story. But a lot of commentators say, not everybody agrees with this, but a lot of commentators say, that in order for, because God looked into Abraham's heart and saw that Abraham was actually willing to give his son up to God again. Abraham is the father of faith. God said to Abraham, I will bless the nations through your son. And then God said, give me that, per that kid back. 
Some commentators say that in order for Abraham to be willing to kill his son, he had to trust that God would resurrect some Isaac from the grave, that God would heal it and make it work. Why do I tell you this story? I'm not saying that you need to sacrifice your, please, please, for the love of God. For the love of God, do not harm another body, please, please. I'm not saying anything like that. But what I am saying, what's remarkable about Abraham here, Abraham is Isaac's protector. Most of us don't have children. But for those of us who have children, we know that our children are our lifeline. I don't even need a baby right now to know. I have parents, I have siblings. If something happened to my family, no. Never in a million years would I let that happen. Because in a lot of ways, I am a protector and a member of this family. But Abraham was willing to stop being the protector and be the person to inflict the harm. Why? Because Abraham trusted that God would protect his son. What am I getting at here? In order to turn the other cheek, you have to be willing to trust that even when you do not protect yourself, even when you do not put up your walls, that God would protect you, that God would vindicate you. Not only that God would not do what is fair. If somebody wrongs you, if somebody betrays you, in a friendship, in a family relationship, if somebody does something to hurt you and you are hurting, it takes, to turn the other cheek, it takes not only trusting that God would be fair to both you and the other person and not retaliating, but also trusting that God would be your safety and your protection and not protecting yourself because God would protect you. For those of us who are like, I can't do that. How is that possible? To you, I relate. A lot of you guys, I'm just going to say, you guys grew up with more money than, than I did growing up. And the way I was raised was, was not, or I, I don't want to make a sweeping generalization or assumption, um, but some of us have grown up with more than others. And for me, the idea of not protecting myself feels impossible. Because over here, the most that people will do is talk about you. But back home, the most that people would do is beat me up. And that's just a completely different paradigm that I don't know how to explain to y'all. That going to school, it does not bring safety to my person and my physical body. So I needed to learn how to fend for myself. So for me, I get upset when I hear this passage. But what we're confronted with in the middle of that rejection of that is that God is our protector. That even when you do not protect your body and your own person, that God protects you. It takes trust in God. Even if this person slaps me again, you are with me. And not like in a feel-good way, not in like a mythical way, but that a very real God, Jesus was resurrected from the grave with his physical body. That means he physically, like how my flesh exists, his physical fleshly form exists at the right hand of God in heaven. Jesus' physical body was resurrected from the grave. In order for us to turn the other cheek, we would have to believe that a physical God, a living God, a very real God, would not only, not only be fair in the end, on the last day, but would be your protection here and now. What Jesus is saying here is, you don't have to do that. You don't have to put up your walls like that if you trusted me. I'm here. 
I'm here. Some of us, we might be like, Jesus, I don't know if you're here. For me, I'm like, the first, the first time I ever heard this passage, I completely dismissed it because I was like, yo, y'all don't understand. <laughs> y'all don't understand. Because I went to a Korean-American church, and not everybody was in my neighborhood, and there were people in my, it was a mega church, and there were people in the room that was way richer than me and my family. And I came into church very guarded, I came into church, I was a very, I was a very, very like rambunctious kid that was very, very guarded. Because I was like, y'all don't understand, y'all don't understand, right? And maybe in this moment you're thinking, Jesus, you don't get it. Like, you don't understand. I hear you, but I can't do this. Jesus does understand. Because he died without fighting back. Do you realize that God, if Jesus is God, and people was whooping him and killing him, do you not realize that God could end the world that day? If God is who he says he is. That's why they taunted him. When, they, when he was on the cross, when he was hanging and suffocating and bleeding out, you know what they said to him? They said, if you're the son of man, cast yourself down from that cross, why don't you? Oh, you really powerful, huh? Son of living God. You really powerful, aren't you? They taunted him. They gave him sour wine and they made fun of him. I don't know about y'all, I would not make fun of God to his face like that because he could do things, you know? He's God. And Jesus didn't fight back. Not only did he not fight back, but he did not stop them. This is the reality that I was confronted with when I was preparing for the sermon. Now is the time to pay attention. I better see eyes. Jesus willingly died and did not defend himself so that he could defend you. Do you understand what I'm saying? Jesus willingly died in the most painful, gruesome way and did not defend his person so that he could be your defender so that he could pay your price and be your defender. That is what Jesus did. Jesus is not a God that does not understand what you're going through. Jesus is not a God to dismiss. When that person hurt you, when your parents hurt you, when your siblings hurt you, when your friends hurt you, and you're like, Jesus, I love you, but right now I'm just gonna do, this is not, that's not the time to be dismissive of Christ. Because if you would dare trust that not only God would be fair, but that God would be your protection, that he would be your safety, that he would be your refuge. Life would be totally different. And that's the key to generosity. It's hard to be generous when you don't have a lot. Like I would, I would give to you, but I, I you know what I mean? When you, got, you, when you got bills to pay and a family to feed, when you got things to do and you don't, you don't got enough time to study, and your friend asks for help, you'll be like, hey, I, I really would, I just can't right now. It's easy to be generous. It's easier to be generous when you feel like you have plenty. But when you feel like you have a little, it's hard. The secret to generosity is security and stability. And Jesus is saying to draw out from your heart a sense of stability and security when you cannot. How? The answer is to trust God. To that, you might be like, how? Your thousand steps 
your thousand steps. I'm not saying it's going to be easy every day. I'm not saying it's going to be easy to do this every day. And for those of you guys who are like, I really can't right now, I really can't afford to hear this right now, hey, I hear you, and I feel you, because I don't know if you can tell, I am very angsty about this sermon myself, okay? I really don't want to preach this, because I, the idea of not protecting my person terrifies me, because of the way that I was raised. I keep telling you, right? And so I really hear you. I really see you, and I really hear you, Okay? And because I am somebody that has had to protect my body in ways that some of us might never know, thankfully, I really hear you and I really see you. God is our protection. God can be your protection. You don't have to protect yourself. You don't have to be guarded. When that person is, when, when, you're, when, when people are coming into your life and you've been hurt by people before, and you're like, hey, I would, I would love to trust you, but I did not grow up in a place where I could trust people like that. I grew up having to protect my own heart. And so I would share with you, but I can't. You don't have to do that no more. For God to be your God, for God to be your defender, means that God is your protection and God is your safety. That God will repay, but not just that, that God will shield. In this moment, that God will be with you. How does he do that? He is with you. He does not leave you. He does not forsake you. That is what I came here to tell you today. That God can be your protection. And maybe some of us are guarded but God can be your protection today. Instead of demanding our rights and seeking justice over every wrong, you can place your trust in God. A practical way to love your enemies is to pray for them. Jane, I don't know how to love this person. I'm hurt, I'm angry, and I'm bitter. Pray for them. Pray for them. Grit those words out of your mouth. But Jane, they've hurt me. Grit it out of your mouth. Get on your knees every day before your God and grit those things out of your mouth. Put in the work. Don't just sit in front of your treadmill and say, Jane, I can't do it. When you haven't done it, it takes work. It's not easy, but so is the cross. So we pick up ours and we follow Jesus. Pick it up. Get on your knees. If you have to, get on your knees and pray. God is your safety. Let God protect you. If you're too busy being too guarded to God and his people, to let them and let God be your protection. I came here to tell you today, put it down. Let God protect you. He's not going to force you to let him be your protection. Stop being so stubborn. Let God protect you. Let him. When you go to a hospital, just because you go to a hospital doesn't mean you heal. You gotta let the doctors work on you. If you let doctors work on you, why won't you let God protect you? If you let policemen do their job, why won't you let your God protect you? If you don't barge into the White House like a lunatic and dr try to, try to Get things that, like, if, you, if you're okay with Biden being Biden, why don't you let God protect you? If you're okay with letting human people do their job, why won't you let him do his? What is it that you're guarding? How strong are your guards? How impenetrable are your walls? How good of a job can you do protecting yourself?
that you're holding that up instead of giving him your heart? What is it that you can do for yourself that God cannot do? If you have been hurt, or if you've participated in evil, God offers himself to you. He is your safety. He is your protection. So trust him. Don't just dismiss this passage. Don't just say, God, I'll give you my Sundays. I'll give you my Saturday nights. I'll give you 10 minutes of my day. I'll give you the occasional one-on-one. But I won't do this because I don't know how. Don't go at it with a crooked attitude. God is God. It ain't worth it. Come before God and stop making excuses. As we do this, not just individually, but corporately, we learn to let God be our protection. We learn to put down our walls. We learn to be more vulnerable. We learn to turn the other cheek. I hear you. It's hard. I'm not saying you're a bad person for doing it. Hey, but at least we don't have to trust somebody that might not protect us. At least we have somebody that died to be our protection. That didn't protect his body so he could protect ours. Would you open your hearts? Can we take this moment to pray? I know I said I came on a little strong today. hope you can hear what stuck out to you are you guarded where is your heart at we asked each other this question we gave each other numbers just before how guarded how vulnerable are you another question is how hurt are you are you in a season where you are recovering I am so if you are you're in good company would we submit to our protector who sees us and loves us would you open your heart soften up and open our hearts before our Lord today. If we've been making excuses about loving our enemies, about loving one another, would we come before God fully and openly right now? Put it down. Put that thing down. Put your stubbornness down. What's the point of holding it up before God? hurting give God your hurts if you're insecure give God your insecurities 
you are worried, give God your worries. If you are guarded, give God your guards and your walls. Even if you feel like he doesn't answer, he is there. He hears you. Abba, we thank you for this day. We thank you that you are with us. Lord, I just pray, Father God, for our hearts to be willing to trust you, God. We don't have to stand alone. We don't have to be so afraid of the future. We don't have to be so afraid of what comes or doesn't come our way. We don't have to be afraid. You are our God. We don't have to protect ourselves from other people. We don't have to do all of those things. You are our protection. You are our safety. That's what you did. That's what you did on the cross for us. So God, I pray that we would be a people that can trust you, God. That can trust you, God. That can allow you to be our safety, God. That can trust you, God, with our families, with our friendships, with our relationships, with our futures, God. That we would trust you, God, with everything that we have, God. Because no matter what, even when it doesn't look so good, even when there's nothing to hold on to. God, you are with us. Our hiding place, our safe refuge, our treasure, our friend. Most holy God, you are ours and we are yours. So help us, God. Help us to be open to one another. Help us to be open to your love, open to your safety, God. Help us to love one another the way you have created and designed us to. Help us to respond to evil, not just out of our own selves, but help us to see others the way you see them. And not so be, not be so afraid to measure whether or not they'll hurt us, whether or not they're worthy of our time and protect ourselves that way. But help us to trust you others the way you see them help us to recognize that we are not threats to each other that God covers us that God comes comes in before us hems us in so God I pray for a congregation of open hearts to you that we would let you be our protection we thank you Lord we give you glory in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. From wherever you are listening, we hope you are blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.